Good morning. Everybody good? Our boys and girls are headed out with Mr. Ben over here. If you're a kindergartner through third grader, you are invited to go with Mr. Ben upstairs to Children's Church. You can stay in here if your parents are okay with it. Uh, if you're a parent of a kindergartner through third grader, you can go upstairs with them. So you can, if you want to see what's going on up there and how Ben does an incredible job of teaching and leading our children, you're more than welcome to do so now. So it's good. I got a question for you, church. How patient are you? How patient are you? Like, let me ask you a question. If you had to measure yourself, if there's a patience scale, 1 to 10, and 10 is like patience of a saint, and 1 is like, how come my Amazon order hadn't gotten here before you click purchase? Which, which, where are you on the scale? Hold them up on your hand. Like, are you a 4? Uh, hold on, hold on. Put your hands down. I, I do got to preface this. Because so I can help somebody. Because some of y'all are like, I don't know where I am on that scale. Let me help you. If you have children that live at your house, okay, take the age of your oldest child, divide it by two, and that's the minimum amount of where you are on the patient scale. So if you have a 12-year-old, you're at least a six, okay? So now now hold them up. Where are you on the patient scale? Ten being as patient as a saint, one being as, where's my order? Two, I got a two. We got a one, two. I see nobody holding up two hands. This is bad. I got a five. We got a two over here, five. So we struggle with patience then, it looks like, right? Most of y'all didn't answer, all right? If I remind you back when you were in school, when you left something blank, you got it wrong. So you pray about that if you... Anyway, Amanda and I, when we were, when we were dating, I lived in New Orleans, and she lived outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, for those of you geographically challenged, they're not close together. Uh, so during our dating relationship, they, we had to practice a lot of patience of when we would get to see each other a lot. So patience uh, is something that is a common thread in all of our lives. This year, 2020, we're asking God to give us a clear vision. And we're asking God to give us a clear vision both individually and corporately as a church. Uh, because we're trusting in God. Last week, uh, we talked about the state of the church. Last week, we talked about uh, kind of what happened in 2019 and how we saw the evidence of God's hand at work in our church. Uh, and we talked about where we've been uh, in 2019 because it's important, if we're going to figure out where do we go from here, it's important to know where we just came from. You know what I mean? So last week we talked about kind of where we came from. This morning I would like for us to evaluate where we are. You know, we, we, we asked that question, well, where do we go from here? Well, probably the most important thing we need to do if we ask that question is establish where exactly is here. So if we know where we've been, we need to know where we are in order to know where we're going to go, right? Or where we're headed. So this morning I want us to evaluate kind of where we are. Kind of where the starting point is. But sometimes when we consider where we are, we often think too much about where we are going. Or more importantly, maybe more correctly, too oftentimes we think about where we want to go. And when we're sitting here where we are and we're trying to think about where we want to go, we end up putting the cart before the horse. Or in this context, we put the will of the people 
in front of the will of God. Are y'all tracking with me so far? All right, so I'm, I'm struggling today, so I need a little bit of some interaction, like head nods or something, because if I'm like, man, I, I've, I've lost them, and we're just going to call it, call it done and be done. Thank you, Andrew. appreciate it. All right, so that's, that's where we're at. So in order for us to not put the will of the people in front of the will of God, we must practice patience. We must wait. And a lot of times we don't like to wait, especially in the culture that we're in, the world that we're in, where everything is on demand. We don't even have to sit and watch commercials anymore. Matter of fact, if we want a four-course meal, it's two minutes in the microwave and it's ready. We Anything we want, it's so on demand now. So when we come to this idea of, of waiting in our context of our relationship with God, it's kind of foreign to us. And like I said, a lot of people raised up there where they were on the scale and they were on one hand, not two. So we struggle with this. When we see in scriptures... When we're called to wait, when we wait on the Lord, we see a lot of different ways in which we wait on God. You know, sometimes when we see in Scripture, we're waiting on God to hear our prayers and to answer us. Sometimes when we hear in in Scripture, we're waiting on God to move. Uh, We're waiting on God to respond to what we prayed for. Sometimes when we're in Scripture, we're waiting on God uh, to reveal what He has for us and to command us. And that's kind of where I want us to camp out today, that third one, is waiting on God to reveal and command uh, of where we are and why we're here. So as we dive in today, I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 3. But wait! We're going to spend a little time in Psalms 106... Uh, and that's not going to be on the screen. Joshua 3 is going to be on the screen, so it's up to you where you want to turn today. Uh, but we're going to be in Joshua 3 for the majority of our time, but we're going to start in Psalms 106 uh, today. And the, because we're starting in Psalm 106, uh, is we're going to let Psalms 106 kind of recap where we are in God's Word today. Instead of you listening to my account of it, we're just going to let God's Word speak for itself to kind of see where we are in the context of what we're going to be talking about today. Church, when we study God's word, context matters. Okay, so don't just pick a Bible verse out and try to delve into your own version of the meaning of that word. You must look at the context of God's word in order to understand what God's word is trying to help us understand. Got it? You leave it blank, it's wrong. All right. We're going to keep coming back to that. So before we get to Joshua chapter 3... Look at Psalms 106, beginning in verse 6, and this is going to kind of set the stage of where we are and the people we're dealing with. And it starts with a quote in verse 6 of Psalms 106. It says, We have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, y'all know who we're talking about here, right? Who are we talking about, Matthew? Matthew. Israelites, that's right, talking about the Israelites. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. We're talking about God's saving the Israelites. They were being barreled down by the Egyptians when they were against the sea. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. And then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But look at this last part of verse 13. But they soon forgot what he had done. 
and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Talking about the Israelites and how God brought them out of slavery, brought them out of bondage, brought them out of Egypt uh, by the person of Moses. Uh, God used his servant Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. Uh, and then they, they're, they're escaping. Everything's good until it's not. And then we blame Moses and we blame God for bringing us out here to die. And then God rescues and does amazing things. And they all buy in. They all worship God until they give up waiting and they move on and do their own thing. So where we are is they get to this place. God delivers yet again. And just like it says in verse 13, uh, they believed his promises. They sang his praise. But soon after that, they forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. So these Israelites became an unbelieving generation almost in which they doubted God and were turning against God. So much to the fact that God said, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. You win a prize. It's called 40 years in the wilderness of wandering. Uh, because what he had to do, what God declared was this generation, this group of people that has been brought out is an unbelieving generation. So he said, you're going to wander for 40 years for this generation of disobedience to die out so that I can raise up a group of people who trust me, who believe in me, who will follow me. And those are the people I will lead into the promised land. So for 40 years, they wandered in the desert, learning how to trust in the Lord. 40 years. 40 years. I'm 41, so that would be like started when I was one year old, all right? Which was like 10 minutes ago, right? All right, fine. We're going to come up to your age next, all right? So, uh, I'm joking. 40 years. So, after 40 years of wandering, they come to the end of their journey and they're about to cross into the promised land. Now, Moses because he was a part of this generation. And Moses had himself shown areas where he didn't trust in God. He wasn't patient and waiting on the Lord. God said, hey, Moses, you're going to lead the people to the land, but you're not going to be allowed to go into it. So when they came up to uh, the place where they would cross into the promised land, God brought Moses up onto Mount Nebo. He showed him the promised land. He showed him everything that he promised his people, but God would not let Moses go into it. And there on Mount Nebo, Moses dies. And God himself buries his servant, Moses. Which lets us get to where we are right now and picks up with the person of Joshua. Joshua was Moses' successor. Uh, And if you read the first two chapters of Joshua, as God is calling Joshua and raising him into the position of leadership, he says to him, Joshua, as long as you submit to me and and follow my lead and, and trust me, I will lead you. And the people will follow you as they have followed Moses. But I need you to be faithful to me as I will be faithful to you. And Joshua did, which was a good sign. All right? So that kind of picks up where we are today. So here we are in Joshua chapter 3. 40 years of the wilderness. We're right here on the banks of the Jordan looking at the promised land. So let's pick up in Joshua chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance 
of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. We're going to stop right there, and and that's just kind of where we're going to camp out today is those verses in Joshua, because I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. When we think about the Israelites, we think about, wow, 40 years of wandering, and then the next thing you know is be like, wow, and here they are in the promised land and all these really good things. But I want us to think about that one part that bridges those two events, because that's exactly where we are. And putting yourselves in their shoes, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Could you imagine, could you imagine wandering for 40 years in a desert? 40 years. And in that process, learning how to trust God. Here you are, you've been 40 years. Like, you have never known anything but wandering in the desert. And here you are. You're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. I mean, literally, you can look across the water and there is this beautiful, lush, amazing land that God has promised. That's yours. Just get there. That's where I'm leading you to be the part of the promise. That's the promise that I'm fulfilling to you. It's literally, you're standing at the edge of the water and it's right there. You've been wandering for 40 years and there it is. And what are the instructions you've been giving? Hey guys, unpack your bags. We're going to camp out here. Now, if you go and study this passage, they didn't say, we're going to camp here for three days and figure it out. No, they just said, let's set up shop here. Where are you at on the scale of what's taking place right now? Like, what's going through your mind? I'll tell you where I'm at. I'll tell you where, if I was on those banks and I'm 41 years old and my whole life has been wandering around in the desert... And there it is. There's this, that is exactly the whole, like for the last 20 years, 25, 35, 40 years, we have literally been talking like, what do you think it's going to look like? And how big is it going to be? Is it going to be green? It might be purple. I mean, it's called promise. I don't know what it's going to, what is it going to look like? All of the conversations, all of the hope, it's right there. Hey guys, just unpack your bags. We're going to set up shop right here for a little while. Say what? Now, hold on. Now, here's where Justin starts to be like, hey, God. You are so good. You brought us here. There it is. This is awesome. I got it from here. Following your will, God. Woo! I take care of it. You know, you know what? I'm obedient. And I see what you, you got me here. I'll take it from here. Sometimes, see, see, when they were at the water, one of the tricky things was, uh, there was around the springtime that they came to the Jordan. So there was a lot of rainwater and there was some flooding taking place. And the water had rushed down. So the river was up real high, which made it very, very difficult to cross you ever been in one of those seasons in your life where you've been through a journey you've been through a very difficult time it felt like a season of wandering in the wilderness it felt like man nothing is going my way and you're you're you start trusting god and you start letting god lead you through these these times maybe it's a dealing with a family member maybe it's dealing with something with related to work or school or a, a relationship issue and you get all the way to the end and it's like man i'm we're fixing to be back where we were where god was doing some great things in my life and boom you run into one final obstacle you ever been there you don't have to answer out loud you ever you ever been there it's like we were so close and now we got to deal with this that's kind of that's kind of the point i know that right Our God is not a a God from the 20 to the 20. 
Our God doesn't take us to the five-yard line and say, we're take it in from here. Our God is the one who's trying to teach us something all the way through. Look at what he's showing us here. If they get all the way to the Jordan, but God says, wait. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever taken children to Disney World? Raise your hand. Like this is our confession time, right? Okay. Of those that raise their hand, have you ever taken children to Disneyland, Disney World in a car or a vehicle? You drove there. All right. So you're driving to Orlando. You eventually get there after about 73 days. And when you get there you start coming in you start getting close you start seeing the characters on signs and you start seeing hey this way to whatever resort or whatever uh, thing you're going to see how are your kids responding during that time it's six o'clock you're pulling into the city you know you're here we're gonna what do they want to do what they want to ride rides hey I bet we've got a great parking spot today dad it's only 6 30 at night you know I bet everyone's leaving we could go on in And you have to explain to them in your delicate way of parenting, especially after a 73-day car ride that you have so much patience left, how that you're not allowed to take them into the park until the next day. So what we're going to do is go and go to our hotel or wherever we're staying, and we're going to spend the night there. And then in the morning, I promise you, because you have to say that, we will go into whatever park and we're going to start. How well does that go over? I heard one person, literally one person answered me. Like, I need some help. How does that work in your life? Did it go well? No, of course not. And then finally, after like multiple ways of delicately explaining to them, because I know y'all are wonderful parents and would delicately explain this to them after your 73-day car drive, they comply or either you knock them out (laughs) and you finally get some sleep. Of course, they wake up at 2 in the morning because they're like, it's tomorrow, let's go, you know? Now, some of y'all are thinking, like, that wasn't my children. That was my spouse, you know? I get it. Because, you know, galaxy's edge, right? You know, you kind of get like that sometimes. But there's not much patience when it's, when it's right there. But that's just the whole point of what God was trying to show them. God was trying to show them that their finish line to wondering, which was actually their starting line to what God actually had for them, was not going to happen on their own. God was not going to be a God who took them through 40 years of wilderness and then let them go across. Why? What do we see here in Scripture? What we see here is God, through His people, is showing them, I am the same God that called you into wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm going to see it through to completion. Matter of fact, didn't Paul talk about that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Church, we've got to understand that when we trust God to see us all the way through, when we trust God to get us across the river, even though it's this last big barrier, when we're sitting here looking at exactly where we know we need to be, God is saying, Wait. Because in submission to my spirit, in submission to my leadership and to my voice, leading and guiding you, I will get you there in such a way that I will receive all the glory for it. That was the whole point. I wonder if God was like, 
seriously, guys, 40 years, and I'm only asking for three days here? You might be thinking, it's been 40 years. They could make three more days, right? Well, how were you on that patient scale? Maybe it's not so crazy after all. Could they have swum across the river? Maybe. I mean, I don't know if swimming was a thing back then. Maybe they could have wandered up inside, up and down the banks and find somewhere that maybe it wasn't as high or the water wasn't going. Maybe they could have gone. They probably could have, could have done that. You know, they very easily could have been like, why do we have to wait? This is stupid. Ah, uh, don't you think this is stupid? Yeah, come on. You want to go see? Let's go talk to them. Let's go get upset about it. They really could have done that. They are Israelites. But what did they do? That's the hook, man. That's where we've got to remember that where we're tempted to stop asking God and start telling God, that's the point of what we see in the scripture. Why were they waiting? Well, you have to answer the question, how did they get this far? The only way they even got to the banks of the Jordan was because God was leading them the entire way. Look at what he says in verse 4. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. It's easy to sit there and think, well, I know which way to go straight because there's the promised land and there's the river. But God says, I want you to wait because you've never been this way before. He's wanting them to do it the way he has already led them to do it. Look in verse 3, what he says in verse 3, what the, what the officers say. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Now, he also gave the instructions that when the ark of the covenant goes before you, excuse me, to stay, he's, you're to stay 2,000 cubits behind the ark. Basically, that's about 1,000 yards, 10 football fields. That's what they were commanded. That's how far they were commanded to stay behind the ark as the ark went before them. Why? Why? Again, demonstrating patience, demonstrating the fact that I need you to wait here. And it's not just for the fact, for, oh, well, because the Lord had to go before them. Church, it's so much greater than that. Because the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of Almighty God. And why did they have to stay 10 football fields behind the Ark of the Covenant? Because this is how God works, church. God alone is worthy of any glory that comes out of anything in our lives. And because of our selfish pride and because of our sinfulness, we are very hesitant to want to look to God, want to look at the world and say, look what God has done. We just want to say like, yeah, I worked really hard on that. Appreciate it. You know, we like getting praises for what we've done. God says the only way y'all are going to get in the promised land is the reason that I made you wander for 40 years. You will give me glory for I am the Lord your God and people will see me on display. And the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was to go a thousand yards in front of them was symbolizing that the holiness of God is so far removed from humanity that this is what goes before the holiness the exclusiveness the exclusivity of God is what everybody needs to see because if the people were right behind the ark of the covenant it could easily be said well here comes the ark and the Israelites here comes the holy people of God coming God said I'm going to go out in front of you I'm going to make a way for you, and I'm going to do it in such a way that only I am going to receive the glory for it. Some of you struggling in your relationship with God, thinking, wow, God's just such an egotist. No, he's only one worthy to receive the glory for anything that takes place in this world. And we are called as his followers in Christ to give him 
all the glory for what he has done. I personally believe that one of the main issues the church, the overall church, not Westmead, but the overall church struggles with in this day and age is that we take ourselves way too seriously. And we don't take the holiness of God serious enough. That's what he's trying to show them here. Is that my glory, my holiness, my presence, I will receive the glory for what's about to happen in your world. And I love that phrase. That way you will know which way to go. When you follow God, when you follow the ark of the Lord, you will know which way you go since you have never been this way before. I wonder, I'm just curious, I wonder that you've never been this way. Is it talking about geographical direction or is, I wonder if it's talking about the condition of their hearts. Just a thought. So even though the Israelites have arrived, they're ending their wandering they're here at the, at the finish line to them, which is the starting line for what God has for them. They still must depend on the Lord. This is the generation that was raised up to be faithful to God. This is the generation that in this wandering for 40 years understood what it means to wait on the Lord, to submit before the Lord, and to watch him go before them and then follow. This is their heart's passion is to say, you know what? God says, wait. We will wait. But that's not all he told them to do. Joshua told the people in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things before you. See, a lot of times when we think about waiting, a lot of times when we think about being patient, in our busyness mentality, we think waiting equates to somehow to laziness. It doesn't. Waiting is not an inactivity. Because what was taking place here is while they were waiting, they were still getting ready for what God was about to do. While they were waiting, they were still equipping themselves to be ready for when God called. They knew at any point in time, Joshua could stand up and say, okay, God's called us to go, let's hit it. But how could they, how could they equip themselves while they were waiting? Well, they kept their possessions in a way that they could just grab them up and go. Joshua says in verse 5, consecrate yourselves. It means cleanse yourselves. He literally told the people, hey guys, while we're here on the banks of the Jordan waiting for the, for the green light from God to go across, I want you to consecrate yourselves inside and out. He literally was telling them, go take a bath so that when you enter into the promised land that God has brought us to, that you will be clean. Go put on your nice clothes because this is an event. This is a worship service. When we cross over and we follow the hand of God and his leadership, when we do what God has promised us and his faithfulness, we're going to go and we're going to be wearing our Sunday finest because we're walking onto holy ground that God has set aside for us that we've been waiting for, not just for 40 years, but since Abraham. He said, consecrate yourselves. He's talking about the condition of their hearts. Clean yourself from the inside out. Guys, go before the Lord your God, and if there's any sin, if there's anything that's separating you from being in full fellowship with the Father, if there's any issue that you're taking, you need to get that right so that when God calls us to go, that it's our faithfulness that goes before us and not clothed in sinfulness. Pursuing holiness in this time of a quote, consecrate yourselves. This isn't a time of waiting. While we're waiting for God to take us to the next step, in the meantime, there are things we need to be doing so that when he calls, we are equipped and ready to go in full obedience. Because if God were to say, okay, guys, up and at them, y'all head on to the promised land, 
oh, wait, oh, hold on now. I got to pack my house up. I got to find my kids. I think they're in children's church. I don't know. What, we got to go find. We, hold on now. We're not, we're not ready to go. Well, they weren't really going to be in full submission to the Lord God if, if that was their story, right? So even in their waiting, they were preparing for what God had for them when he said it was time. And I love that last part of verse 5. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Guys, get cleaned up inside and out because when God moves, it's going to be absolutely mind-blowing. I'll be honest with you. That's worth waiting for. When we know God is in, God has gone before us and he's preparing not just our hearts, not just our church, not just the body of believers, but when we know he's doing something on the other side, that when he opens up that gate for us to go through in obedience, that his name is going to be glorified in a way that we have never been a part of that before, that's worth waiting for, church. But it's only worth waiting for if you truly know and trust the Lord God Almighty. I mean, it's kind of pointless to wait on somebody that you don't trust, right? Somebody you don't trust says, hey, meet me down at at McDonald's. We're going to have lunch, and I'm going to buy your lunch tomorrow. And you show up at McDonald's, and it's about two minutes before the designated time, and you're not sitting there and be like, dude, they're going to be here any minute now. You don't trust them. You're thinking, they better show up because I'm hungry, and I ain't got a dime. You know, they're going to buy my lunch. Where are they? If we don't trust somebody, we're not going to wait. We're not going to be content in waiting. So the point is that if we're going to wait on this holy God to do something, the point of the matter is, do you know the holy God that we're waiting on? Do you trust the living God who has called us and promised us that he is moving, that he is making all things work for the good of those who love him? Because here's the truth of the matter. You can't trust somebody you don't know. And this morning... If, if none of this makes sense to you because the whole concept of trusting God is foreign to you, my question to you is, do you know him? The more you know someone, the more you naturally trust someone. Because you've got to understand that this holy God that's in this passage of Scripture is the same holy God that we as a church fully rely and depend on. And if you don't know him, then what God is about to do, what God is about to unleash our church to be faithful to him on won't make sense to you. So my question to you this morning is, do you know God? And what's beautiful about this is whether you say yes or whether you say no, you have to understand that knowing God is not an impossibility on your part because God has already made a way available for you to know him. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, whom God sent into this world. And I still don't understand why other than for his glory. To love and to live and to glorify God every day of his life to the point where he willingly laid his life down. That his death, his sacrifice, that when they shed Jesus' blood, when they put him on a cross and crucified him, it was for your sin. It was for my disobedience. It was a sin of the world. And because of the blood of Christ, God reconciled all things to himself. But it's still something that we as individual believers have to choose to accept or reject. 
When God calls us to listen and to trust us and to, or to trust him and to follow him, it's with the understanding that we know him, we have a relationship with him, and we believe he can do what he says he can do because we know what he has done through the completed work of Jesus Christ. Because that's my testimony, man. That's my story. And because of that, I trust God. My question today is, do you struggle with trusting God because do you actually know God through Jesus? Because there is nothing separating you from knowing God today. There's nothing stopping you from you accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today. The price has been paid. It's whether or not you choose to accept it. But church, we know where we've been. We know what we've seen God do in this last year. And I told you last week, I think that was just a glimpse of what he's capable of doing when we surrender full obedience to God. When we as a church pursue true biblical living and trust God, we've seen where we've been. We're asking God to give us this clear vision for where we're going. But church, we're not going to go anywhere if we don't know where we are. And that starts with you in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Where are you in your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God the Father through Christ that you can say, dude, I wholeheartedly trust God? Because God might be saying, then wait, because I'm about to do something amazing. And it might be three days, even though you're sitting here looking across the river exactly what you know you need to be doing or where you think you need to be. And sure, you could try to jump in and do it on your own way. Sure, you could sit back and be like, why are we waiting? Can't we just... When we bring our agendas before God, I assure you, your agenda won't win. So where are you? If we're asking God, God, show us where to go from here, let's first start by asking God, God, show us where is here. Because where here is for our church is we're kind of at a place that God says, I need you to wait because I got some amazing things. Guys, can I just kind of pull the curtain back and tell you a little, like a couple of weeks ago, we sat down as a staff and just prayed and asked God to do some great things before us. There's stuff on our church calendar this year that has never been on our church calendar. And I know it's because God is leading us to do some bigger things, some more missional things, some more ministry things, some things that's going to get us outside of our box, some things that we could sit back and say the seven deadliest words a church could ever hear in, uh, we've never done it this way before. It's going to look a little different in how we minister and and reach our city, our nation, our world. And those opportunities are coming. But in the meantime, waiting is not inactivity. Waiting is for us to evaluate where we stand with God the Father and trusting him to equip us today for what he's preparing for us tomorrow. Church, those waters are going to go down at some point in time, and whether they rise, God's going to march out in front of us and part the waters. For the record, that's what happened in the Jordan. The Levitical priest carried the Ark of the Covenant into the center of the Jordan and set it down, and the waters parted just like they did the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked across on dry ground because God said, I will go before you. I will deliver you just as I promised. I will take you all the way across, not just lead you to the point. I will take you the full way. And I will receive the glory for what takes place. We got a chance to be a part of that last week. I'm looking forward to being a part of it again. But church, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And when he says go, 
There's nothing holding us back because we took today and the next few days, weeks, months, whatever. It might be three days, it might be three months that we ask God, show us where we are, God. We know where you're leading us, but we won't move until you go before us. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that in just five verses in the third chapter of Joshua, we see a group of people humble and obediently waiting for you to move. God, we are not a patient people. You know that better than us. But God, I pray that every believer in this, in this room, in this church, would seek after you, God, asking you to show us where we are, where we stand with you. God, I know that you're doing great things in our future. God, you have amazing things, and that's not for us to be a part of necessarily. It's not for us. It's for us to see your glory in them. So God, maybe that's why we need to wait is so that you can continue to prepare our hearts to get over ourselves and to give you the glory you deserve. Not just for the things that are coming. Maybe we need to stop and give you glory for the things that you've already done in our lives. For if we can glorify what you've already done, then we're more equipped and prepared to glorify you for what you're about to do. God, there is a bright future ahead for the church. So bright that it ends, it doesn't end, it begins in your throne room. But Father God, until that day comes where you call every believer in this room home to to be with you, may we be found faithful, waiting, equipping, consecrating ourselves so that when you say go, we are ready. May our hope be in you. May our trust be in you. But God, also may our green light be found in you. So God, meet us where we are. For the person in this room this morning, morning, God, that doesn't really trust you, God, pull back the veil in their hearts for them to know whether or not they have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And God, if, if they don't know you, and God, today, may today be the day they cry out to you, repenting of their sins, asking for forgiveness, and God, accepting you for who you showed yourself to be through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, if if there's somebody here that has that, I would love the privilege of praying with them and, and talking with them, God. 
Yeah, there are people hurting in this room. And God, a lot of times the burdens that we bear aren't necessarily our burdens to carry when we're connected to the body of Christ. So God, this morning, may they lay them down at your feet. And God, if they need someone to go with them, if they need some help, if they need somebody to partner with them, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, that Father God, this morning, as we prepare into a time of invitation, that God, they would respond to you by being obedient to how you deal with them. And show them the restoration that awaits that you desire for them because of your unfailing love. God, wherever we are, I know, Father, you're going to meet us right there. So, God, do it in such a way that we see you and do it in such a way that only you get the glory for. God, even now in this time of response, that we would be found faithful because we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we prepare to respond to who God is? Oh, 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 oh,